So, as is so often the case in recent times, um, I come somewhat empty-handed this morning <laughs> to our Wednesday morning chat, and somehow I guess some of the people who've been here for a while um, may know that you know what I do is just to blether on for ages, but um, uh, sometimes um, you know I'd find it interesting to to know how you feel about the subjects. And um, I just wanted to raise one little subject this morning and perhaps ask you for some feedback to uh, see if anybody um, might want to participate in, in, the, in my uh, thoughts, my conversations. So what was going on for me today was, um, was the pending release from um, this lovely bubble that I've been living in for the last six, eight, yeah, eight weeks. I was kind of wondering if anybody's feeling the same. And I had um, this, uh, I had this experience about uh, uh, two or three times I've had this experience when I've been on retreat up in Scotland uh, with, um, uh, on our Qigong retreat at Sami Ling, which is a, a lovely Buddhist monastery up in the Scottish borders. If you've never been before, it's well worth a visit. It's, it's literally the most bizarre place you've ever been to in your life. I, I was brought up in the Scottish borders and um, you drive from a little town called Selkirk, which is where my dad used to have a, a, a textile mill. My granddad used to have a textile mill. That was the family business up there. And uh, you drive up, it, the mill was called Ettrick and Yarrow. And it was called Ettrick and Yarrow because it was the joining of two rivers, the Ettrick River and the Yarrow River. And uh, behind this little town called Selkirk, you can drive up this valley called the Ettrick Valley, or you can drive up the Yarrow Valley. Uh, and eventually you kind of drive off um, into what sort of becomes um, uh, uh, the Forestry Commission kind of um, area. And uh, there's literally nothing there. It's just sheep. And occasionally you see a farmhouse but I mean, very, very occasionally you see a farmhouse and then the road becomes a one track road and you're heading towards um, uh, Galloway um, to the to the uh, towards the uh, west coast of Scotland to another completely rural area, um, Ayrshire and Galloway in that kind of a direction. And you start going up over this watershed and you come down the other side and even the trees stop. Then it just goes into barren kind of blasted heath. There's nothing there at all, apart from sheep. I mean, lots of sheep. And as you carry on along this lovely one-track road, um, you you uh, and the only thing you ever see is just like a mighty tractor that you know thunders along, and you have to swerve to avoid it into a passing place. And then suddenly you come round a bend, and there's an enormous Tibetan pagoda, uh, and and a, a lily pond with a golden Buddha sitting in it, uh, Tibetan flags flying everywhere, um, uh, and uh, um, yeah, lovely kind of, you know, Tibetan looking buildings and then other kind of normal, you know, um, accommodation buildings and things like this, a huge, great Tibetan arch. And uh, it, it's quite mind blowing to see this, especially the temple building. After you've driven through this kind of bizarre, crazy Scottish countryside, in you know in absolute barren isolation and then you come around the corner and you find this tibetan temple and it's kind of like what you know the first time i saw it i literally thought i was hallucinating 
You know, I was expecting uh, a Tibetan centre, but, you know, whenever you go to sort of centres up in Scotland, it's always just some big old house that's, you know, being taken over. This is a purpose-built Buddhist temple right in the middle. And then when you go into it, uh, we were lucky enough on several occasions to go into the um, Medicine Buddha um, uh, a temple, which is a, a private place that very few people ever get invited to. But seeing as we were sort of good customers and Qigong players and all that sort of stuff, that uh, um, the Lama invited us to go and the, the Medicine Buddha shrine is just extraordinary. It's just beautiful. There must be 10,000 mini gold Buddhas in there. It's just, anyway. So, yeah, having spent this time, uh, and then um, just down the road from the temple is uh, their old complex where they first started back in the 1950s. And uh, I don't know if you know much about uh, the history of uh, Tibet, but basically Chairman Mao's government drove the Tibetans out um, they, uh, it's interesting because Chairman Mao is not awfully keen on, or wasn't awfully keen, and Chinese people are still generally not awfully keen on talking about Genghis Khan because that was when China was, you know, ultimately um, uh, taken over by the Mongol hordes. However, they're very keen to use um, uh, the ownership of Tibet by the Mongols as the reason that China now should own Tibet. And so, you know, it's convenient one way and sometimes it's, you know, convenient the other way and et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, so that's why in the 1950s they took to um, uh, uh, raiding Tibet and bombing one of the greatest aerial bombing, one of the greatest libraries in Tibet. Anyway, this is not a free Tibet story. This is something else entirely different. But that's how these, um, this crazy temple started up in Scotland was because in the 1950s, the Tibetan, um, you know, most of the Buddhist uh, lamas and things were driven out of Tibet. And so, yeah, I suppose, you know, it's, I imagine Tibet to be a, a crazy, um, you know, sort of um, bleak place to live. And they must have looked under the heading bleak places to live and come up with the Scottish borders and gone, oh, that looks nice. <laughs> Let's go there. And so um, I was trying to escape it all of my life and they were looking for it. So there's something interesting to say, isn't it? And so, yes, so the Tibetans ended up in the Scottish borders and uh, they opened up this retreat centre, which they lived in for about 20 years. And eventually they raised funds and they made themselves an enormous temple. So we now go and stay at their old centre they first moved into in the 1950s. Several times we've, sorry, you'll find out why I'm drabbling on about this. Several times, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that we've been uh, up there, we've done... Uh, we've made the retreat into a silent retreat and so not in the same way that uh, um, that some of you may have, have been to Vipassana and I, I only I've only read about Vipassana I only sort of heard about it but essentially Vipassana I, I believe is 10 days uh, or, or of um, sitting in meditation for up to 10 hours a day um, and that's it nothing else. There's, there's a little bit of instruction to help you along. Uh, you're allowed to have, um, if you're having a crisis, you're allowed to have a one-to-one -one conversation with your mentor, but essentially that's it. It's just meditation for 10 hours, starting at, you know, 5 a.m. in the morning and finish at 9 a.m. at night or whatever, and uh, long, long, continuous sessions of meditation. I think, wow, that's fearsome. I, I take my hat off to anybody who's done that, who can do that. That's amazing. Um, ours was a bit more watered down than that. It was essentially... Um, we started on a, let's, let's say, started on a Wednesday as, you know, talking about what we were going to do 
talking about the, the rules and regulations, i.e. when you walk along the corridor, lower your eyes so that you don't come into contact with people. When you're eating your dinner, uh, you know, eat quietly, don't talk to anybody. And we slowly phased it in over a day or so. And then we had two, maybe three days of that, where the only talking that took place was Teacher Lou giving a, um, giving a, a talk on you know, whatever the chosen subject was. Uh, and, um, and then we'd exercise together, we'd meditate together, and then we'd just sit quietly or go for a walk or do whatever you wanted to do. And at the end of those... Oh dear, I mistake there, I'm not switching my phone off. New phone. Quite sure I switched it off yet, we'll figure that one out. Um, I think that's my daughter calling. I'm just gonna call her back later on. Um, okay, so. Quiet. Quiet, good. <clears throat> so we had our three or four days of silence and, um, and then slowly phased our way back out of it. So I think what we introduced then was um, tea breaks where you could, you know, just try and unpack with your um, colleagues what had gone on for you. And then uh, slowly, you know, we came back to, I think on the last day, it was back to full conversation. And uh, because it's important, I think, to, to spend some time talking about reintegration. So perhaps you see where I'm going with this. And um, one of the things I found odd was that on, I think we've done two or three times, and each of those times we did that, um, what I would do was because I was going up from Bath up to Scotland and my mum just lived, as I say, in the Scottish borders just down the road. And so I would go back, I would spend two days with my mum before the retreat. And then um, after the retreat, I'd go and spend a couple of days with my mum afterwards. My mum lives on her own and um, she's a, by nature, quite a, a quiet woman. Uh, but, you know, we always like to go out to dinner together when we uh, when we're together. And so um, there's a local pub, and when I say local pub, you know, sometimes that's uproarious and lock-ins and things like that. That is not this local pub. This local pub is a quiet, hunting, shooting and fishing, um, uh, octogenarians eating their smoked salmon sandwiches, you know, that kind of thing. It's, a, it's quite a posh pub, but it's also quite a quiet pub. It doesn't get much above a sort of library kind of hum, you know. And so it's a nice place to go out for dinner. But... Going back to see my mum, and she hadn't seen me for, you know, 10 days or whatever, she had lots of questions she wanted to ask me about it, and then we had to go out to dinner. I found it really, really difficult to reintegrate with my mum. Just on the most gentle of conversations, and I'm not talking about all day long, blah, 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 chattering away. You know, she's not a person like that at all. And so even quiet conversation gentle, occasional conversation, and then being faced with going out to the local pub was a real challenge to get back into. And I was very pleased to have a day driving back in the car entirely on my own in silence, you know, to try and get back into to, to life, as it were. And so it was really interesting for me to discover that this period of uh, lockdown has become an incredibly precious time for me. And I really, you know, feel quite challenged about the ideas of going back into life. And, uh, you know, some of you guys are my students. Uh, I have to tell you, I feel quite challenged about restarting classes. You know, it's probably not. It may be next week going into the park and it may be, you know, a month going back into the dojo or two months before we go back into the dojo. Who knows? But it's actually quite a challenging prospect for me because I've become quite a hermit in my time. I've really enjoyed it. I, I've taken walks every day, um, which I do anyway, but longer 
um, walks, longer cycle rides, you know, going out into nature and really enjoying that. And I, I, I'm wondering, you know, are you guys also feeling this sort of, um, uh, you know, feeling? Okay, so uh, the next, uh, so if you wanted to, if you want to type a yes into the bar, you can do. If you want to type anything more deep than that, you can do. Please, you know, comment in the conversation. Yeah, Penny says absolutely, Rosie, yes. Okay, so the question is, um, and Limerick too, good. Okay, so the question is, what is it that you fear? Okay, so that's a pretty big question. <laughs> Uh, and I think um, that's the sort of subject for for today is you know what is what is what is it that what is it that's coming up for me, and then I suppose that allows itself to run out into a slightly bigger subject, which might be the question, what is fear? Okay, uh, and so then the next question beyond that is um, uh, well, okay, so so let's just, just dig into that for for a little bit and have a look at that. Um, because that is ultimately, you know, I feel apprehensive and uh, uh, perhaps anxious. I'm trying to look for sort of useful um, adjectives that give an idea. I don't really feel like that. You know, I'm, I'm very happy. I've been to Sainsbury's, you know, once a week or whatever, and I don't feel, oh, my God, I can't go into the car park. We're not talking about that kind of anxiety. It's just a little sort of underlying sort of question about not wanting to break the bubble. And so there's... Um, Clearly, modern life, uh, and modern life, as we all know, is massively invasive. Um, I, I've just got a new phone, uh, and uh, I've spent the day trying to set up my new phone, and then just realised how many ways, uh, how many streams of information I have coming into my life, and, uh, uh, and the tyranny of that information. So that's the first thing that's really come to me. And you know, I've been sitting there, as I think I said to you last week, I've been sitting there thinking to myself, uh, you know, maybe I need a secretary. And then I'm thinking, oh, hell, I can hardly even afford to pay myself. How could I ever afford to pay a secretary? But you know what I mean? It's that kind of, um, it's Penny. <laughs> Penny's made a comment there and said, he hopes my new phone is not 5G. I have to tell you, yes, it is. And I'm very excited by that. And there's only one reason for my being excited by the fact that I've got a 5G phone is that I'm hoping, hoping to be able to broadcast live from the park. And I'm really hoping that that might help to work that. <laughs> and so I'm sacrificing my health on behalf of my students. I'd just like you to know. <laughs> and uh, you can switch it off down to 4G as well. So I'm thinking I might try to boost it up to 5G when I go to the park and switch it off to 4G when I... <laughs> what a martyr. Thank you very much. Cheers. Everything I do, I do for you. <clears throat> That's a good song in that summer, I think, isn't it? Um, okay, so, yeah, um, Zoom classes will continue, Rosie. Yes, that's the whole idea, is to keep them going uh, in the park. I, I would like to keep my Zoom classes online ad infinitum. So I have to find a way technologically to do that. But this kind of stepping out into, um, out into the real world, it carries a little um, anxiety with it. And the question is, what is the underlying fear there? So I think that obviously we've been all um, uh, doused, doused in fear by our newspapers, media and government recently. And of course, uh, one of the nice things has been that in this um, lockdown period, it's been much easier to control information. The, the flow of information has, for me, become much um, uh, lighter, let's say. 
Uh, I've, you know, I don't take newspapers. Uh, I very rarely listen to um, news radio or TV um, news of any sort. Um, you know, occasionally catch a news bulletin. I, I like to listen to Six Music. It's got all the oldies on it and uh, yeah, cool tracks. Um, but occasionally the news comes up. So occasionally, you know, I'll hear a little bit of uh, news pop up. Um, but it's been heavily filtered for me. And so that has been a real joy. And that's something that's been a real joy for, uh, you know, on the retreat spaces, is having the flow of information cut down. And so we have an awful lot of um, information come into us. But if you sit yourself up in the Scottish borders in Sammy Ling, that information flow stops almost entirely. And I think that, you know, because I, I, I was running a business, I am running, you know, I was running several businesses. When I was up there, I, I told everybody when I was going up that what I would do is I'd check my emails once a day. And I don't think that's too bad. And, you know, occasionally it was very useful to have that, be able to feed back on that, especially as there were other people but at that time, other people paying my salary. So I felt I couldn't exactly just completely abdicate my, my um, uh, life, as it were. And so, um, yes, so, so cutting the flow of information down was incredibly powerful. And then, you know, coming back 10 days later and, you know, perhaps driving back down the motorway and, and hearing some news bulletins on the radio and thinking wow and then people would say you know what do you think about the and I'd say hmm, no idea and find you know that I didn't actually find it that important the whatever it was they were talking about that had occurred in the last 10 days that um, I had completely missed out on you know some sort of footballer's divorce or something like that yeah like it matters to anybody so the gate uh, uh, um, was Sammy Ling and it you know stopped the flow of information for me and I found that, you know, really, really beneficial. The lockdown has stopped that flow of information. And again, I found that very, very beneficial. So the one thing is the incoming information, just the, the level of it. The second thing is the nature of the information. And that is called, you know, the question about good information and bad information. Well, let's just dial back a second there and say good and bad and have a quick look at judgment. The so judgment is just my set of values and the um, the resulting opinion that comes from my set of values. So if I am uh, deeply Catholic and I have been all of my life and some news comes up about the Pope, I will put on some information and that's just because of my background uh, and my uh, then, you know, thought process that goes through it. So yeah, that is good and bad doesn't really exist because um, if you're talking about... Um, uh, Tony Blair, you know, there's probably, I don't know, 30% of the population, 40% of the, I have no idea of the population who think that Tony Blair was absolutely brilliant and the best thing that ever happened. And you see, I've already put judgment on it by, by working the statistics out and the other 70% who thought he was crap, you know, because I'm thinking about the, um, about the Gulf War and I didn't like the Gulf War. So there's my opinion has already made a judgment about Tony Blair's rule. And that's that, you know, so you can see how judgment works. It's just everything stacked up inside me and uh, uh, and then a piece of information arrives and I say yes or no. OK, so that's my inner workings and that's my own patterns that I have to sort of deal with. Um, so judgment. Uh, so no thing is intrinsically good or bad. Things are just things. They just are what they are. And uh, as we know, we can't control things. No, they just uh, uh, occur and uh, um, and then you put your judgment on it as to whether you say it's good or bad. 
And the other interesting thing is uh, where you find your information from. So if you habitually take the Times newspaper, you're going to have a different um, opinion on life to someone who habitually takes the Daily Mirror, let's say. If the Daily Mirror, yeah, I think it still exists. <laughs> I see there's another judgment there. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, you, you, are, you are choosing your information stream. And uh, in doing that, you are choosing to align yourself with other people's um, given information, as it were, because you know that it's more or less going to comply with what you think. And so there are very, very few right-wing people who will ever take a left-wing newspaper just to keep a broadened view, because if you did that, you would find that you were much, you would end up much more in the middle, <laughs> you know, and, and vice versa, left-wing not being right-wing. And so that's one of the, the, the best ideas, is to try and find your information from all the places you wouldn't normally look. That would keep you in a much broader spectrum, obviously. Uh, but we don't tend to do that because we need to have a shortcut, and so we just pick, you know, whatever organisation, Sky or BBC or, you know, whatever organisation happens to be the most convenient for us, we tend to pick it and we tend to find if we don't like it, we'll switch channels to something else until we find what we do like and then we'll stay with that. So that's just cultural conditioning, isn't it? Okay, so we have this kind of like a channel of information. So we have been doused in a lot of fear. A lot of sense, I suspect as well. You know, there's been a lot of good information come out about uh, dealing with COVID. And I think there's been a lot of bad information come out with dealing with COVID. And certainly to begin with, from early on, there was an awful lot of misinformation, false information, etc., etc. But nonetheless, it's created, you know, levels of fear. And now, interestingly, the government are trying a sort of, you know, five point. The, the last time I saw a five level kind of warning system, five, the last time I saw a five level warning system was back in the 1970s. And it was the nuclear alert that the country was on, you know, whether we were about to be bombed. Now they've introduced the same thing. So this, it harks back in the back of my mind to, to worse times when there was, you know, nuclear warnings. Now we've got COVID warnings on the same, you know, red alert, amber, green, and the stages in between. I'm sure that it was a five-tier system. So, yeah, our five-tier system, you know, we can actually <clears throat> look on a little app or the government website or whatever to find a pointer that tells us, you know, it's the same thing as, you know, your credit card system. <laughs> you know, if you're sliding down towards the, you know, the amber and into the red with your sort of credit rating. It, you know, it has all the same, these sort of dashboards that they make up, they have all the same kind of feelings, but none of them are particularly good when they're heading south. And so we have exactly the same thing with our with our uh, COVID rating. So now you can genuinely be fearful, you know, uh, on a very technical level, if you wish. Okay, so um, I'm slightly worried that we've, I've got myself on the wrong Wi-Fi settings, and you're getting a bad signal. So if you just hold on for half a second, I'm going to change my Wi-Fi and connect to the correct Wi-Fi and you might lose me for a second and hopefully it'll come straight back on again. So bear with me two secs. Normal service will be resumed.
Right, okay, sorry for that mucking about. Um, can somebody just type into the bar if you can hear me okay, if you can see me okay, if everything's all working still? Thumbs up. I can hear and see you fine. Fantastic, all good, thank you very much. Great. <clears throat> okay, yeah, I just suddenly noticed my, my Wi-Fi signal was sort of fading slowly in the background there. Um, okay, so I was talking about my sort of anxiety around those things, and I was talking about the um, COVID kind of fear ideas, uh, and that um, that's been ramped up quite considerably. So the next aspect of my going out is thinking somewhere deep in the background, have I had COVID? Were those couple of days where I felt a bit wobbly and a bit kind of, you know, unhappy? Was that it? Was that it passing through? Or was that just a cold, you know, plenty of colds going around at this time of year? Uh, or at some stage, am I going to reintegrate with society and suddenly be knocked down, you know? And, and uh, I mean, Boris Johnson, I don't point to Boris Johnson as being a healthy person <laughs> at all. And I, I point to him being as the most stressed person probably in Britain. Uh, but, you know, he had a good sort of four weeks in hospital and that, you know, nobody wants to have that. So the deep background, and I'd just like to say there's a much, much better um, uh, layer of information for me that says you do Qigong you know, every single day, you eat healthily, you look after yourself, you lead the least stressed life of anybody on the planet. You know, so, you know you won't have the same problems. It will not affect you and it's probably already gone through. So I'm 99% certain, but of course there's always that 1% doubt. If you think about it, you think, I wonder if I ever had that. And then that leads a little sort of anxiety to arise. So there's this sort of bad information that's been pouring through my judgment. And there's this uh, added idea. It was interesting to have um, uh, Penny pipe up about 5G because of course, all of the people who are sort of in the alternative community have been linking COVID and 5G. Whether there's any truth in that or not, you know, time will only tell. I suspect that, you know, 5G is never going to be good for us. You know, why would we irradiate ourselves on these kind of levels? But on the other hand, you hear, you know, all sorts of people sort of say things like we get irradiated by more, um, you know, atoms from the sun billions of times more atoms in the sun every single day than we do from 5G. So we're not getting to a 5G argument, by the way. But, you know, there's all sorts of different um, angles taken on it. And just as a little side loop on that, um, talking to Luan Ling. So going back to my lovely teachers, Luan Ling, who most of you have met or quite a lot of you have met. Or perhaps worked with online recently. And uh, me saying to them, as you've heard me say many times, but surely it must be better for us to eat uh, organic food and they're sort of saying, no, not really. And then John's story about taking them, you know, back home down to Suffolk uh, and uh, um, going past a, a McDonald's. Oh, no, back. It was a Burger King. And Loon Ling saying, oh, we can eat in there. And John's sort of going, perhaps they don't know what it is. And taking them into Burger King and, and the one going, I'll have the Big Mac. And the other one having, you know, I'll have the cheese sandwich, the cheese, whatever, you know. And they all sort of knew the Big Mac menu. It's kind of, hmm, OK. So clearly, you know, they don't. And then questioning them about this and then sort of, you know, them saying it's all just chi. You go, yeah, well, it's all very well. It's all just chi. But, you know, so 5G is all just chi. Uh, but it is. It's about your mindset. And it's back to this old, old story. If you feel that 5G is going to get you, then the chances are it probably will. If you feel that eating a Big Mac is going to poison your system, then I'm fairly sure that will happen. But the question is, can you then be of a strong enough mindset to understand that 
this the information that comes along with your Big Mac is only information and that if you transform that information into something positive rather than negative or just take the sting out of the information let's say because positive and negative is discussed just a judgment and so um, if you take the sting out of the information are you able to benefit from the energy involved in the transaction and so the answer to that would from their perspective from my perspective would always be yes and so yes they don't mind having a glass of wine they don't mind having a big mac you know uh, that nothing is ever done to excess is the key and then perhaps you might suggest that you know living in a 5g world would be excess and that's where the problem comes in and that's being done to you and so the question is can you transmute that and i suggest the answer is yes if what you're doing is keeping an eye on your body if you're keeping your practice levels high if you're not feeling put upon by anything then you know, that will be your uh, road to, to salvation let's say okay so um we've got our, our our fear levels of covid and i'd say that the optimism behind um my optimism behind my ability to deal with covid far outstrips the the worry that i have so that's you know it's on a sort of a scales level you know my optimism's here and covid's fear is down here and i think that will give me the best you know and again time will tell and if you find me four weeks in hospital then uh, you'll see that maybe you know I mean, I have to face that fact and I, and I will have to look long and hard at myself and ask what's gone on. And I remember that, um, uh, yeah, no, that's not a useful story. Um, okay, so what happens next? What is that fear about? And ultimately the fear of um, COVID would come down to the fear of dying. So let's just take a few other fear examples. Um, fear that one's income will suffer badly during these times. Where does that lead you? Uh, that leads you into debt. Now, fortunately, we don't have debtors prison anymore, but you know, perhaps ultimately that leads you to some sort of financial problems where you may become bankrupt. Uh, you might have to sell your house to cover your debts you know god forbid and uh, uh, uh and that um you'll find yourself in a situation where uh you're suddenly you know thrust into rented accommodation in, in a council flat living off uh the dole uh and uh eventually what happens is that you you know it's 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 no surprise i don't think that we're having these sort of this inquiry where they're saying why are um, people of colour four times more likely to die than um, uh, you know, people from a white ethnic, ethnic background uh, from COVID? <clears throat> and I think that you know, it's only too obvious. I don't think we need an inquiry to spot the fact that there are a huge amount of underprivileged uh, coloured people living in Britain and that those people are living in, in very <clears throat> intense circumstances in kind of bad housing and things like that. And there's also an intimate connection being made between um, COVID and sugar. And so um, the COVID and sugar thing, uh, you know, gives you uh, an, another connection between little and uh, inequality, financial inequality. So let's say that what we're looking at here is, you know, just a social setting where people who have, um, who, who are not very well off, uh, who are living in cramped accommodation with many many other people who don't have gardens to go out in 
who don't have the money to go and buy themselves organic healthy food, who don't know about their qigong and don't know about transmitting and transmuting the information behind little sugar overcrowding into something positive for themselves, into looking at their lives in a positive way, then these are the people who seem to be suffering much more deeply from their sort of COVID you know, situation and have a much less, uh, have a much higher mortality rate. So yeah, sure, the socio-economic situation behind COVID is, is you know, um, obvious. And so um, the, the, the story that rolls through the socio-economic thing is a fear-based story. And so perhaps in my desperate scenario where you've run out of money because of COVID, you've lost your job because of COVID, your life has collapsed because of COVID, it'll lead to you selling your house because of COVID, you end up in a council flat because of COVID, and eventually your nutrition collapses, you're depre you become deeply depressed, and you, know, you may face your mortality. So, you know, perhaps, and wow, you know, that would be a spiral, a, a terrible spiral for anybody to take. But, you know, I don't know how anybody stands at the moment. Perhaps you're already facing some of these challenges. And the question behind it is, what is the ultimate fear? The ultimate fear is that you're going to die. You know, that, that it's going to, that COVID's going to kill you, or the resultant of COVID is going to kill you, or it's going to kill some member of your family, or the resultant of COVID will kill the member of your family. But those fears exist in the 21st century in, in spades. You know, you just not today just going out and crossing the road. Although I have found, and I don't know if anybody else has noticed, in these times of lockdown, people are much worse at crossing the road. Uh, things have gone quiet and people have lost their sense of looking out after themselves. And so I was walking along the pavement and now, you know, there's this social distancing idea where people look at you and they think, oh, I'm going to stand well away from that bloke. And this woman who was running towards me doing her daily jogging with her headphones on, she ran out into the middle of the road, did a huge loop and ran back in. And I wanted to say to her, have you never heard of cyclists or electric cars? You know, she could have been dead in an instant. So somehow people crossing the road were losing the ability to do that because of lockdown, to do that safely. But that's it. You know, mortality could have come to her or, you know, the lack of mortality, i.e. death, could have come to her in a split second due to her fear of COVID. You know, it's got very strange ramifications, this, this uh, whole thing. And uh, being a cyclist, you know, and being someone who desperately wants to own an electric car one day, you know, I can see that people just step out in front of me with their headphones on all over the place. And so, you know, we are going to find a whole new, we're going to have to live in a different way in order to survive. But just daily life brings about it, this fear. And then on top of it, tuning into the news will give you a huge dose of your own fear about your mortality. You know, that's another big story um, uh, is that you know just by seeing uh, other people um, in these terrible in these dire straits sets off a a, a deep-seated fear story in yourself and you without realizing it on some subconscious level you're also feeding that into that fear thing you know someone uh, trapped in a lift, trapped down a mine, uh, in some train accident, a plane crashing out of the sky. And at some level, your brain doesn't really know whether it's happening to you or whether it's happening to someone else, because your brain is a locked box. It's called a um, it's called black box syndrome. Um, I don't know if you if you've heard about this, but essentially it's the it's the old glass jar experiment. How can you prove that your brain is not in a glass jar in a laboratory? 
And so, you know, it's kind of like, well, quite clearly, you know, it's in here. But that's the question. Are you actually just in some lovely 3D virtual reality? Well, the answer to that is yes, you are. But let's not go into that one today. Um, but, um, uh, you know, how can you tell that you're not just in this locked box and being fed data? Because quite clearly, your eyes are not actually bringing pictures into your head. It's not a TV set. What's actually happening is that your eyes are transmitting that information through electrical electronic signals and being decoded in data bits, if you like, inside your brain. And so it could just as well be a plug into your brain feeding you visual signals, a plug into your ear feeding you audio waves, uh, you know, sensory waves into your nerve system. So it's a uh, it's one of those things we cannot prove that we actually exist. Uh, it's a daft you know, um, thought uh, experiment, but it is you know, quite nice. It does make you sort of think, OK, but the truth of that thought experiment is that you can't really tell from watching the television at some deep limbic level in your mammalian brain. Um, you can't really tell whether the information you're being fed is real or uh, fake. And I say real because, um, you know, this this really is a 3D simulation that we're living in. Your sort of uh, spirit or your soul is living in this lovely 3D simulation. And to us, it seems very real. But actually, I think that, uh, you know, on a universal basis, it's a completely different story. It's just like we are the Sims. If you remember that 1990s, 2000 game, little people walking around, making families, building houses. You control it all like God. So whether whether you believe in that or not, that's a different story. But yeah, so we've got our little locked box syndrome and your brain can't actually tell whether you're being fed real life information. You know, at some level, your brain's thinking plane crash. Oh, my God. Run away. Run away. Time to run away. You know, and uh, is it time to run away? Maybe it is. And that's probably what I'm feeling right now is this you know feeling that I've escaped from from this terrible you know, a uh, kind of catastrophic world out there. And I've gone into my little bubble and now I'm experiencing anxiety about going back out into that outside world that seems so fearful on some level, on a subconscious level. Fearful in a way that I can't really um, uh, describe because it's on a subconscious. Okay, so let's just look at fear of death for a second. That basically, in my opinion, underscores everything. The fact that you will die is the unspoken fear that underscores everything in your life. And so we've got, you know, some minor anxieties, which are things like um, uh, loss of face. You know, I don't want to be found out by, you know, my friends to be inadequate um, or something like that. So that's a sort of typical kind of loss of face idea. But then you can spiral everything back because if uh, people then choose me, uh, look, you know, if I become a social pariah and everybody points to me as being a terrible person, uh, then, you know, my social life collapses. And then when I have no friends, I go into isolation. I become deeply depressed. Eventually, you know, I spirals down to death. Um, and so um, loneliness is clearly on that pathway. Living on your own. Will you be lonely? Uh, because, uh, uh, you know, loneliness is something we identify in the old uh, as being you know, the, the pathway to, to, to death. So everything in your life ultimately boils down to your mortality. That's the fear that underscores everything I would contest.
at some crazy level. And I only say crazy level because it's terribly easy for your subconscious mind to spiral into these deep kind of fear scenarios without you even knowing it, without you um, really understanding what's going on. And so these, the fear of death uh, ultimately controls how you behave. And if we all lived without a fear of death, then we would live in this joyous kind of life. And then one day you die and it would kind of be, OK, so here we move on to the next. Um, so the, the things that surround death, um, you know, we have a terrible sort of sadness and everybody cries and everybody wears black or in China, everybody wears white. You know, but we have this kind of sad, um, desperate feeling that, you know, it's a, a, a terrible loss. So how do you combat that? Right, we've got some big subjects here, haven't we? I didn't really know I was going down this road. How do you combat that? So one of the things is understanding uh, or possibly believing that um, there is life after death. So if you're prepared to accept that there's life after death uh, and that um, you've heard me tell my story before about me speaking to my dad through a medium, you know, that for me was the sort of the signal that there was life after death. Hmm. To be fair, some of you probably haven't heard that story, and I'm not going to go through it again, but it totally 100% convinced me that it was possible for me to talk to my dad uh, a year after he died. I got great information back from his energy, let's say. And so on that basis, that made me think, well, okay, if there's life after death, that's great. So there's still some essence of you continues on after this kind of, you know, meaty bit moves on. And then a lot of research work with uh, uh, listening to Alan Watts, uh, who is the who describes himself as a cosmic uh, cosmic joker. Alan Watts was a philosopher who died in the nineteen sixties, I think, or nineteen eighties, perhaps nineteen seventies. I was really sad never to come like come across Alan Watts until after he passed. But his books are absolutely fabulous. He's really really interesting and nice. Some of them are very specialised. You know, he talks about about Buddhism or Taoism in, in deep deep sort of, you know, or Zen Chan Buddhism he's very into. Um, and, uh, but, he, you know, some of the talks you can find on YouTube, and I mean, the wisdom is astonishing and beautiful. But he talks about death and he just sort of says, you know, it's so sad that when a baby arrives, everybody pops champagne corks and brings presents and things. He says, you know, that's exactly the same thing you should be doing when people are dying. You should be there with them partying. And I, I share, occasionally I share a story about a fantastic guy who passed away. Um, he was one of my... Um, uh, um, Cause celeb, uh, whatever the phrase is, you know, he was someone who uh, had he basically said to me, I'm going to die, Jeremy. And I sort of said to him, Well, I'm not gonna let you, <laughs> you know. And he sort of said, Well, nobody can stop that. That's a and that's what's happening, you know. He was deep into the cancer process. And he said, What I really want you to do is to help me as much as you can. And I sort of said, Sure. And so I shared that was a time when I was um, doing medical qigong therapy, and that was build the, the 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 difference between what I do now and what I do then was build my own personal chi up to a very high level, and then emit my personal chi into someone else and help prop them up energetically. So it didn't take long for me to discover. <clears throat> I say that it didn't take long. It took about five years for me to discover that that was a pretty short term story, because whilst you can give people a great lift and you can help them for a few days, that very soon starts to dong, 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 the effectiveness comes right back down. And it's a great money-making story for, for one as a therapist, because you can help people. And then they, you know, for a couple of weeks later, they come back and it's like, 
I'm really going to go out and limb here. I, I, I do apologise. It's like being a chiropractor. <laughs> Oops, sorry if anybody's a chiropractor. Please forgive me. Um, uh, because um, there was an interesting... Um, I was trying back comment about that up by uh, talking about um, an, an MIT. <laughs> we all know what that means. An American university did a study, and I always call it MIT, to give it some power. Um, but basically, they did a thing where they looked at uh, people who had back problems. Essentially... 80% um, of people who went to a chiropractor had to return within three months with the same problem and had to return and had to return and had to return. It's not saying the problem didn't go away with the chiropractor, but the solution wasn't a full one. And with an acupuncturist, 80% of people never had to return for the same problem. <laughs> you better look that fact up somewhere. Um, yeah, it's not one I've made up. It genuinely happened, but I don't know where I saw it. Um, yeah, so uh, the... Uh, the chiropractor, why was I having a beef with chiropractors? Yeah, it's this idea that, um, you know, that the, the, the chi emission is a, um, is a, a kind of a, a short-term win, but that people would then need more chi delivering into them, if you like, to keep them going. And uh, it came to a head with Lu and Ling, who told their story about doing exactly the same thing a Hong Kong millionaire and they would get really well paid for it and they'd turn up every couple of weeks and they'd give him all this chi and they'd do this huge healing on him and then a couple of weeks later he'd phone up and go I need another chi healing and they'd come round and he'd be sitting there and he'd be on the phone and he'd be saying yeah come on heal me heal me yeah yeah buy you know more stocks and shares and then, come on come on keep me healing keep going you know yeah yeah I've got to do this with my business and he wouldn't even be concentrating and eventually Lou just basically sort of said to him look we're not coming back anymore and he sort of went, what do you mean? Do I not pay you well? I'll double your money kind of thing. And he said, they said, no, we, we don't, you know, if you're not going to take part in it, we've got no interest in doing it. He sort of said, no, everything's fine. Leave it as it is. Just keep doing that. And they said, no. And they pulled out because, you know, and, and the sad story is that, you know, months later he passed away. And uh, was that the right thing to do? Well, that's the, what they felt was right. But, you know, he needed to engage in the healing process himself. That was what the important information to take from this is. Um, and so I also felt exactly the same that it was, you know, I was just taking people's money and propping them up and I wasn't really providing. And just to sort of slightly defend myself there, um, what I was providing was a prescription for people. The people were supposed to do the work themselves, but rarely did anybody bother. Take a horse to water, can't make a drink. Okay, so um, where do we go from this point? Uh, the whole sort of self-healing idea, that's where the real power comes in, that you have to take responsibility for your thoughts. You have to take responsibility for your feelings in this particular time. So we're very, very worried about, you know, COVID. We're very worried about our death. So Alan Watts and his little story about um, uh, we should be celebrating as people die. And my friend Dan uh, in... Um, Lewis, who I used to go and visit every couple of weeks, and I would give him lots of chi, and he would keep going. And uh, um, one day uh, he said to me, I think it's coming towards the end. And I sort of said, oh, you know, don't be like that. Let's try and be positive about it and all this sort of stuff. And he said, no, you know. And so um, I gave him a, a treatment. And, uh, and then I went back home. And the next day, I got a, or two days later, I got a phone call from his wife saying he passed away. Uh, I felt absolutely gutted by that and, you know, really sad to hear that because he was a lovely bloke. 
And then I went to his funeral, and uh, at his funeral, his funeral was a right old knees up, genuinely right old knees up, in the local pub. It was a proper party, and uh, he'd given instructions for absolute happiness to be, you know, rolled out uh, at his expense, you know, to everybody. And uh, it was literally um, one of the most, it, it was the most fun funeral I'd ever been to. And um, uh, and what had happened was the family had had a, a small burial, and then the rest of the day was devoted to parties, music, bands, dancing, that sort of stuff. And the day, two days before, he had um, invited everybody he could find to the, the local pub, all of his friends. He'd been seeing his friends, you know, from far around the country, bit by bit. Um, and then um, uh, and then he'd seen everybody in the, the in the town had been invited to the pub for a big night with music and dancing. He'd danced all night long. The next day he'd caught pneumonia and passed away. But it was just like, you know, gone out in a blaze of absolute glory. And um, Alan Watts, when you talk about it, Alan Watts basically says to you, um, and, and you can think yourself about this little thought experiment. Do you remember the moment before you woke up this morning? And so, you know, the answer, I, I guess, to that is no. We don't remember the moment before we woke up. You know, we were just awake and there it is, you know. Oh, hello, here's the morning, you know. And he says, you know, life and death, exactly like that. You know, you don't remember going to sleep because you just fall asleep. You don't remember waking up because you're just awake. And he says, you know, if you believe that, that this continuous soul story goes on for you, it's just going to sleep and waking up and here we are again. Oh, new life. On we go. And uh, enjoying it to the fullest. Nothing more dramatic than that. And the sad thing, we always sort of think, oh, but I don't want to leave everybody behind. But actually, if you then believe that you become part of a soul family and you're always part of this soul family, then that's the joy, is that you'll never be parted from all the beautiful people who you live with in this life, because it'll just go round and round again in different little variants. And the lovely thing to think about it is that all the super people in your life right now are part of your soul group, and they're still there. They've always been there. They always will be there. And so when you go to sleep and you wake up the next time, they'll still be there, as they are today, as they were this morning, as they will be ad infinitum. And so the whole idea of death then takes the sting, just starts to disappear. And if you can start to embrace that idea, you can live life much more fully. If you're worried about going out there and getting COVID, then you've still got that death fear lingering. And if you can start to assuage those ideas and live fully and happily and just think, well, that's the path I've chosen. This is the way it goes. Then every life will be a blazing day of glory. Uh, and, uh, you know, every day will be a day, a blazing day of glory and you'll live fearlessly. And then living fearlessly will allow you to have the most incredible life. So, <sighs> live fearlessly. <laughs> have no fear, people. It doesn't matter. Nothing matters. That's the truth of it. And it's just that we put so much import on everything we do. The truth is that nothing actually matters at all. Whether you walk out into the road and crump hit by the bus or you live for another 20, 30, 50 beautiful years, it doesn't matter either way. And so all you have to do is to embrace that idea. And then you have to embrace that idea with your family as well and say to them, look, let's not feel worried about, you know, going because when I go, I'll see you. When you go, you'll see me. You know, we'll be together for always. 
And if you can wipe that fear of death out with your own family, uh, then, you know, everybody's going to live a, a glorious life. And when you pass, you can have champagne corks popping and people partying like my friend did. Bless him. And then, uh, you know, and then, and, you know, and then continue again into the next one. So if you have a fear of life, I suggest you read some Life Between Life um, books. And uh, OK, come on. Rather than me just calling him David Irving, which is deeply um, uh, wrong, I suspect. Uh, life, uh, life Between Life. Um, Michael Newton, <laughs> dear Michael Newton. That's right. Hey, Michael Newton. So some of you have heard me talk about um, Heather, who's a friend of mine, who helped me with the um, life between life regressions and uh, past life therapies and things like that. And um, she's a lovely lady. She lives. I don't know. I think she's in Bruton or Bristol or around about. Uh, our um, southwest area, Heather um, uh, is uh, Heather's father was Michael Newton, and he was also he wrote a fantastic book called How I How I Died and What I Did Next, <laughs> which is a, a wonderfully challenging title. Uh, life between life uh, regression. Let's see if I get the original author I was thinking of. Um, Michael Newton comes up very well. That's great. He's UK. Um, and uh, I'll find the other author in due course. Uh, funny. Not coming up. Uh, Destiny of Soul. Maybe it is Michael Newton. Journey of Souls. Yeah, perhaps it's Michael Newton. Anyway, there was another author who I read um, while I was uh, doing my... Um, rebirthing course in California, which was in um, in uh, Virginia, which was amazing. He was a lovely author, but I'll, I'll dig him out one day. And I keep on calling him David Irvin, but Michael uh, Newton will do just as well. Hazel's dad, and uh, um, How I Died and What I Did Next, fabulous book, and Journey of Souls. And if you have fear about death, you should read those books. If you think you might have fear about death, you should read those books because they're really good. And, you know, it gives you a whole idea about soul and uh, the evolution of the soul and uh, what happens when you die and how you come back and blah, blah, blah. And uh, and it gives a it gives a bit of a story about um, near death experiences, make, helps you to understand how those work and things like that. Sorry, <laughs> I came with no idea about what I wanted to talk about today. It seems to keep on happening, doesn't it? It becomes something I did have in mind the fear of death. Somewhere I have a meditation that I developed from a poem and I will dig it out uh, and perhaps we can all die together next week uh, so that we can live fully <laughs> next Wednesday afternoon and onwards. Um, it's an interesting idea. I'll reread it and see if it's appropriate still. Um, it's essentially a guided meditation to take you into uh, the emptiness of the universe, but not in the same way as we do to disconnect you from your from this life uh, and then um, uh, um, reconnect you with the universe and uh, I'll have a look at it so my little um, homework is um, uh, 
in all <laughs> sorry it sounds a bit like something like the Waco massacre we can all die together next week but the reason is that we're all going to die together so we can live together and uh, thrive from then onwards it's like the, sort of the the Mexican ceremonies where they kind of put you in a um, uh, in a coffin and stick you in the ground and you can experience your own death but it's not quite as dramatic and we can do it on zoom <laughs> which is always useful come and die with me on zoom next week and then we'll all be together forever now that really sounds freaky so please don't misquote me don't use that out of context you won't find me hoarding guns in the basement or anything like that um okay so uh I'll look it out and see if it's an appropriate thing to do with us next week. It's just a very simple idea for us to just dissolve back into the universe, let go of our physical bodies, and uh, it allows you to feel, um, you know, the potentiality for yourself to be universal. Okay, so I'm not uh, going to do that this week. Um, what I am going to do is what we always do. We're going to do a Lachi session because I feel the power of that. We're going to do exactly as we did. Oh, yeah, lovely. Thank you, Becky. That's a great suggestion. Anita Morjani's book. Uh, which is, yeah, her, her, her NDE, near-death uh, experience, is, is beautiful. And then if you don't want to read the entire Anita Morjani book, there are several good YouTubes of Anita, you know, about sort of 30, 40 minutes long. Um, my friend Jan Shear in, um, uh, in Hainan Island in the south of China, who I was visiting last year, Jan Shear um, is absolutely obsessed with Anita Morjani. He, he thinks that she is the shining light of example as to how to heal yourself. You know, he loves, uh, and I think it would, uh, if Jan Shira ever comes to Europe, I'm going to try and hook him up with Anita Morjani. I think it's just a, you know, something. He he sees her as the absolute shining light of, you know, self-healing. She went to the absolute edge of personal extinction and drew herself back to total health. We don't need to make it that dramatic, people. You can sort yourself out now rather than having to have that life lesson. But um, uh, she's a, a yeah, Anita Majani, a great experience uh, uh, to um, a great person to examine. Okay, so hola, all hopefully good information. And then what we'll do is we'll just run through our little lachi session. And I think that what we'll do is what we did before, which is to pause in sort of a slightly meditative state, open ourselves out into the blue sky, open ourselves out into the universe. Um, if you haven't heard me say why we talk about blue sky, then um, uh, occasionally, and, and some of you guys who work in mental health um, might know that the idea of universe, some people feel scary and very challenging, or, or also might just find the picturing of the envisaging of the universe difficult to do. So Dr. Uh, Pang, decided to use blue sky as well. So he sometimes uh, uses the terms blue sky just because everybody can think of that beautiful blue sky day lying on your grassy bank, staring up into the blue sky, you know, the heavens above. For me, blue sky is um, epitomized by um, the day in 1980 that I arrived in Johannesburg. And uh, Johannesburg is a huge plateau the airport's incredibly flat for kilometers you cannot see you know, the, uh, a mountain and I came off from you know from England grey skies walked down the steps of the plane in, Jan in Johannesburg and almost fell flat on my back I'd never seen a, a, a sky like that that was my first time of ever having seen a sky so large you know, it just doesn't really happen in Europe although 
recently I've experienced it once or twice in Sweden where there are you know great open plains there but um, uh, you know for me it was uh, I was only 18 or 19 I'd never seen sky like it and uh, that was my blue sky experience that I still use today when I'm thinking blue sky I think about that moment of having seen those African skies crystal clear and the vast dome of the universe of blue and so if blue sky works for you better than universe I tend to use universe as a tone as a, as, a, as a term but if you if you'd like to think blue sky rather please choose that uh, and ignore what I'm saying when we get ourselves dissolved out into completely dissolved I'll just stop Dr. Pang and we'll just relax into the blue sky for a while so whereas you're normally instructed to use Kai as open and uh, her as closed and um, what we're going to do is we're just going to imagine um, when we open high, dissolving, dissolving, getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then her as a kind of like a holding point. So not going back closed, Kai opens you and hold yourself there. Kai opens you further, hold yourself there. Kai opens you further, hold yourself there at that open state. So you can also use um, you know, uh, her as a sort of a, a marker or something like that. Okay, so... Um, Let's just run through our meditation then, and uh, uh, we'll um, settle into these kind of uh, into this open space, and then uh, we'll dissolve ourselves back and uh, use her to run ourselves all the way back down into our bodies, as it were. Okay, so now what I'm going to do is just to uh, start Dr. Pang background. If uh, who knows how that's going to work. Answer this very badly. So track has disappeared. Sorry, I should have read this before. But she translated with Dr. Pang. Hola, hola. And it. Okay, so let's see how this works. Okay, great. So just, I'll just pause in for a moment. Let's just get ourselves into sat into a comfortable posture. Relax the whole body. Body relaxed and calm. Mind drawn deeply inside. Eyes closed, the shutters closed. Relax the whole body. Mental breathing. Really feel inside your body. Dissolve the edges of your body into the chief and you. No longer the solid version of you. 
just as easily draw chi back deep inside. Feel your body. Reopen, dissolve. Draw inside, collect the chi. Very simple ideas, just dissolving and feeling the reality of your body. Let us just work with La Chi. What we're going to do is just allow the whole body to dissolve today. If you're working with something specific, that's great. Go ahead and do that. You probably know how to do that already. But I'm suggesting that what we do is just let go of our entirety, let go of everything out into the I don't have to put any particular judgment on that. It's letting go of everything, softening into the background, dissolving into chi. And then from this wide open space, we're going to pull back healing chi into our bodies. Rebuild your body perfectly. Rebuild your patterns. Well, all the past can be let go of, all past illnesses, all past patterns, all the past hurts that have shaped you can be let go of in this particular meditation. Right here, right now, we choose to heal ourselves. Let's begin our La Chi. Eyes open. Let's close. loosens, dissolves, that draws great chi into the body. Great chin at the roots. Uh, 
penetrate deep inside. I open, open, open. to the emotional root. From the deepest root of your problem, send chi to penetrate in and loosen up. Send chi deep. Cells. Sends chi deep into every cell of your body. Dissolve at a cellular level. Send chi deep inside. Opening up the DNA. Opening space between the cells. Imagine that space opening between the cells. Body opens out into the chi field. Chi goes deep inside. Space inside each cell. in between each cell. Make each cell bigger and bigger. And 
Feel the vastness of each cell. Open each cell. Now we're going to imagine that we can go inside a cell. The cell opens into vastness. So now you can see all the parts inside. Uh, sends chi inside the cell. Uh, imagine being inside a vast cell of your body. Uh, bringing chi into every part of it. Uh, seeing all the mitochondria, the little batteries that power the cell. Uh, sending chi deep inside. Uh, seeing the nucleus of your cell and inside it all the DNA. Uh, you send great chi deep inside. Uh, send chi deep into every cell of your body. Uh, you see this one cell filled with good information. You open it, you dissolve all of its problems. Uh, you just repairs and fixes everything in this cell. Okay. Cellular problems dissolve. Uh, you pour good information into the cell. Uh, 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 so just see all the space around your cell now. Beautiful cell floating in a pool of interstitial fluid uh, opens up the space all around your cell, sends good information into the fluid in the cell. Open your cell, see it floating in this beautiful soup of chi, sending good information into that cell. Chi expands this out into every cell of your body. Uh, so this one good cell gets duplicated billions of times. Uh, the good information flowing, the energy flowing. Uh, every cell in your body uh, opens with Chi. Uh, fresh new in information pours inside. Cell of your body working well. Uh, this great healing going deep inside. Uh, fresh information in every cell of your body uh, goes deep inside. Now expand further. Let's start to open the whole body up. Uh, just her just holds you in this lovely open state. Expand yourself out to the blue sky, uh, keeping your body wide open. Uh, every cell, every bone, every muscle, every tissue dissolving to the universe uh, holds you in place. Uh, think of every cell of your body out in the blue sky, uh, 
feel the openness of the blue sky. It just keeps you open. Feel the vastness of the blue sky. Open, 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 open. Keeps you in place. Open, dissolve, relax, give up. ourselves wide open. Just stay open with Kai. Blue sky open. Body open. Problem solving. You. Vastness of the universe inside of you. You. Are the universe, you are open, you are energy, God, God is deep inside you, God, what is deep inside you, allow this information to you, see that on your tiny kind of 3D existence, made up all sorts of different laws. You'd created a structure that's not currently serving you. When you start to break through the rules you made, information you created, the gates kept you pinned inside. That's where things started to go wrong. Not your fault. It was subconsciously your choice. So here at this universal level, we make different choices. We no longer have to be troubled by old relationships, troubled by problems with our parents, troubled by life's bitter blows. Don't need to be that person anymore. You can thank that experience. You can see that it's brought you great life lessons. You can see that in every bad thing there's been some amazing teachings. But you don't needed anymore. Don't hold on anymore. Let go. Let go. Let go. Penetrate deep to the roots of these problems. Let go. Let go. Let 
experience the true quantum nature of self. Quantum science, we say quantum collapse. That's when your intuition interacts with the quantum chi feel from non-being information starts to pour into this current reality this is a top-down healing the new you the universal you pours this information into your body it pours through and it starts to change all of your thoughts all of your emotions eventually physicality so at this highest, highest level, allow yourself to dissolve all of those problems, bring great new information in about your life. Way beyond current, above and beyond small 3D life. Now we're talking about universal, the Godhead within you, allowing yourself to manifest extraordinary change now, not tomorrow, not next week. Yes, tomorrow, and yes, week, yes, next week. It all starts in the seed of now. Make that seed grow, blossom, next week's healing, next month's healing, next year's healing will happen without you even trying. What we're doing now is dissolving inside us patterns that held us in place, letting go things we no longer need, releasing ourselves, our earthly bands, drawing into ourselves power of the universe, recognizing inside ourselves our true divinity, knowing that we are God. So we can gently start to bring ourselves back to this beautiful new existence. We're not bringing back the old stuff, drawing back powerful new you, all new you. Let's begin using her to draw chi, God from the universe, deep back into our bodies, slowly using that information, draw chi back inside. Placing all the emphasis on her. Drawing amazing resources into your body. Kai just gently holds you. Draw the universe inside. Kai holds you in this beautiful healing space. Fills every cell with chi. Accessing God. Uh, 
information to every cell. Penetrating every cell with this great new information. Universal tube. Good information at a DNA level. Universal chi. Good chi supporting every cell of your body. Wide open. The roots permeated with fantastic energy. Universal God. Yourselves. Feel God inside every one of your cells. Feel God. Know that that is you. to our last two in complete silence. All got it back into chi. Feel the power of this process. You have experienced the universe. Experienced yourself as God. Experienced your true divinity inside your body. Experienced your body to heal. Ease with which your body. You never need to go back to the old way. This is now your new truth. Let it be. Let it be. Every level, level. So be it. Feel that holy, whole. Okay, holy. I like that too. Feeling. Feel it at that level. Deep inside. Truly profound. Change. Healing. 
brought about right here, right now, in a moment, everything. So gently bring your hands back to your belly. Let's just hold lower dantian for a moment. Feel this complete healing. You can draw some circles round the belly button. Three circles anti-clockwise. Just gathering chi to the center point. Three the other way. Just signaling to your body that we're closing down, holding all the chi inside. Just keeping you together resetting you for being a different way normal daily life. You've reprogrammed yourself at the deepest of levels. You've overwritten the old software, created a new you. Just feel yourself inside your body. Feel the reality of your new healed body. Feel how it feels at the cellular level, at the muscular level. You can start to perhaps move your shoulders a little bit, perhaps move your back, move your toes, perhaps move your fingers a little bit. As you sit here, just imagine your Wei Chi layer, a fabulous uh, external Chi field. Just feel your ability to protect yourself with this energy. Protecting the deep, deep level. Chi field protects you. External influences, viruses, bacteria. You've got it. You've got this incredible, powerful healing field around you. No fear of COVID. No fear of anything. No fear of death. Just live today in absolute happiness and joy. Live every day like that. Big smile on your face. See yourself in your wonderful shield of energy. See this chi flowing around your body well. See this great new information you've planted deep in every cell. Feel the reality of that. You can slowly open your eyes. And you bring yourself back into this space. And, uh, and uh, I really like being with you guys. I really enjoy it. Um, that's fabulous. Thank you very much. I'm feeling completely, I've got to try and get myself together now. I've got something to do. Come on. Hello. Okay. Um, let's say howla, because that's always good to bring us back into the space. Howla. So howla, we put our hands up in the air. One, two. Howla, if you don't know, means everything is good already. But I'm mute you. And so we can all say howla together. Of how lies. Okay, so hands up in the air. One, two, how One, two, how One, two, Fantastic. So thank you very much for being here. I'm still thank doing you. advertising for my uh, day on the 24th of May. We're spending a day together um, where we can all do our uh, we can do morning exercise. Then we'll do talks in the morning about healing. 
Then we'll do a lift you up in the lunchtime, in the evenings we'll do meditation together. So it's a whole day of being together on Zoom as a retreat day. So if anybody fancies joining on the 24th of May, please do so. Otherwise, class tomorrow 9.30, perhaps see some of you there. Class tomorrow 6.30, perhaps see some of you there. Very good. Ciao, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.